Oh yeah, it's time for the Biz Women Rock Podcast, episode 78. Ladies, welcome to the Biz Women Rock Podcast. I am your host, Katie Kremitzos, and I have the pleasure of sharing with you phenomenal stories from businesswomen all over the world in all sorts of industries so that you can be inspired along your business journey. I have a great show for you today, but before we get started, I have a huge announcement. So Shark Week actually starts August 10th of 2014, and what I'm doing to celebrate Shark Week is featuring women who have been on Shark Tank all week long. That's right, starting August 10th, going through the entire week, I'm featuring amazing women who have gone through the gauntlet of Shark Tank and have lived to tell the tale. So in order to share these great stories with people all over the world, we are having a lot of fun with this and we're creating a viral meme. And I would love for you to be a part of it. All you have to do is go to bizwomenrock.com forward slash shark week and you'll get the super easy details on how you can participate and be a part of this whole meme. It includes beautiful shark graphics, selfies, and social media. That's all you need to know. So go to bizwomenrock.com forward slash shark week. All right, now let's get into our show. Today's guest is Ali Ciarto, and Ali is a co-founder of a company called LoudPixel. To make this super simple, LoudPixel is basically a technology that helps analyze social conversations. So not only do they provide clients this data analysis, if you will, but they also consult with the client about how to actually use that information. So she herself has had a tremendous business journey that has included multiple different types of companies, the potential selling of LoudPixel, which she's really going to get into, and what it's like working with your spouse, which, you know, a lot of us can identify with. Anyway, she's a trip. She's got a lot of great information and you're just going to love her. So let's get rolling. Allie, thank you so much for being on the show with me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so stoked to have you on because you are somebody who has such a cool business story and has lived through many, many different types of businesses and has so much entrepreneurial kind of expertise to bring to the table today. And I'm just fascinated by you. So I want to <laughs> I want to be able to give everyone kind of a really great idea of what LoudPixel is all about. But in order to do that, I really want to set it up by letting you kind of tell us what you were doing before you started LoudPixel. Like what was your experience as a businesswoman? You know, it's funny that you hate me as an entrepreneur. But if you go back to when I was 24, right before I started the business, it was probably one of the last things that I actually thought of myself as. I really? did not see myself as an entrepreneur. And you meet so many people who have these great success stories in business, and they say, well, you know, I was selling lemonade, and then it, it turned into this big sales business where I was making all this money in high school, and I sold my lunch for money, and, and on and on. I was not that kid at all. I actually, when I went to college, I was very kind of traditional path where I studied advertising and I studied digital media, and I said, okay, I'm going to go to college, I'm going to get a job, I'm going to work my way up and be this, I don't know, vice president of such and such big company, I'm going to move to Chicago, and that's what I did, and that's the path that I was really following when I started. And funny enough, I actually, I started a podcast in 2006 where I was interviewing people in these types of jobs where I was asking okay, how did you work your way up the chain and how did you become the creative director of such and such ad agency and how did you do all these things? And through that podcast, I actually ended up kind of learning quite by accident that I was making these amazing connections with people. And so that led to my first job in PR. And as I was working in PR, I, of course, kind of stumbled into social media analytics, which is what I ended up starting LoudPixel in. But still, I just thought, okay, I'm going to work my way up and work my way up. And I continued to do the podcast even as I was working. And I did kind of find myself transforming a little bit over time where instead of just interviewing people who had these jobs, I was actually starting to be really attracted to these people who were running their own businesses. And I thought, wow, this is really interesting. And so I'm working in PR, I'm getting into digital analytics, and we're working in Excel, and we're working in spreadsheets. 
and it's kind of a mess and it's very inefficient. And I think, and so I was actually at the time, my now husband, we were at the time, let's see, I think we were engaged by that point. I went to him and he's a web designer and our friend from college is a web developer. And I went to them and I said, if only we could build a tool where you could import all of this data and you could make it easier to make sense of the data and tag the data for context and then kind of sort it out and spit back these reports that you can use. So basically what we're doing is we are taking conversations online. So let's say there are tens of thousands or sometimes hundreds of thousands of conversations online about a brand or about a topic or a cultural anything that we want to kind of understand. So we, pull, we put in the keywords to look at those conversations. Okay, what's being, in general conversations, what are being said? And then we pull it into the system. So at the time we were just doing it in Excel, then we built the system. And we look at a random sample set, just like you would for any re- research kind of focus group or actually I should say survey. And we tag it for context. So what are people talking about? Who are they? And it's really just diving deep into the audience and what drives them. And it's really, for me, I kind of nerd out on it where I get really excited about who are these people. <laughs> so, so I'm doing this for this big company and I find this kind of need where it could really be simplified. And I get at the point, though, it's just kind of me saying, wouldn't it be cool if, and I think that's where a lot of great ideas and a lot of great companies start, where you just see a problem and you say, oh, wouldn't it be great if there was something else, if we could take it this one step further. But I was 24, and I had been very much taught that at 24, you work in this agency, you're very junior, you have to work your way up. And so I thought, well, if ever I were to start a company, it would be at least in 10 years, maybe 20. And that's what I was seeing with people who were starting kind of their boutique agencies were starting them much later. So here's where the turning point happened. I went to get drinks with a friend who had actually worked with me at this agency, and she had started her own company. So this was my kind of first glimpse into somebody else who had left and started their own company at a pretty young age. And I said to her, I would love to build this, and I would love to do it this way. And kind of just left it at that. And then the next week, she called me, and she said, so are you serious about this? Because I think I have your first client for you. What? And, and, and Be careful what you wish, of, wish for, right? Exactly. <laughs> it was putting it out into the world and, and really just telling people what I wanted. And so I, I had two opportunities at that point. I remember she had to arrange for the client, which was another agency. She arranged for them to come meet me at lunch while I was working at my job. And I remember that they took a cab over to meet me, and I thought, oh, my gosh, I can't believe they paid for a cab ride. I can't believe they spent money to meet with me. (laughs) And I still didn't have that confidence. I was just like, I can't believe it. But after the fact that I really started to think about it and see what their need was, I said, I can do this. We can absolutely make this work. And I think, I really think I know more about this than a lot of people that are doing it just because it was such a new idea to use social media for market research and to understand what people were saying. And so I took, and I had in my job, I had just started to kind of get into budgeting. So I understood what people were paying for it, what people were looking for. And so basically I put together a budget and I met with these people and, you know, I I felt strangely confident about it when I, when I started to kind of talk with them more and more. And one night they said, all right, it's approved, and they gave us a quarter million dollar contract. What? And I quit my job, and my friend quit his job, and my husband was actually freelancing and writing a book at the time, and so he kind of just transitioned all of that. And here's the thing, though. So we sold this contract, and this was probably maybe November of 2009. The contract was starting on January 1st of 2010, and we had sold it as a tool that we would use to do this analysis, basically a weekly analysis. We didn't have a tool. I was going to ask you, did you, did you even have this built yet or you were just, you sold the idea? No, we hadn't had it built at all. And I think looking back, I'm so glad we were as naive as we were because (laughs) nowadays I think we'd just be like, oh, there's no way (laughs) we can't do it. So we basically, I just remember going into, we lived in, I don't know if I mentioned it, I think I did, we lived in Chicago at the time, From graduated all of us from Michigan State, lived in Chicago, and so my friend, the developer, he had this kind of high, he lived in a high-rise apartment building with a party room up top, kind of overlooking the city, 
And I remember we'd all sit there with our laptops and we would just work. We were still going to work during the day. We were coming home and we were working, working, working on this, getting everything together until we basically all quit the week before Christmas. So for a good month, month and a half, we were just working on this at night. And we got it done, but the very first version was definitely, if we look back at it, pretty crude. It took a lot of manpower, and it was a lot more work to get everything done. So basically what we did was we created the very first version that we could use so that we actually could produce something because we had sold something to the client. And they knew, they, we were honest about this. They knew where we were at with this, but they knew we could do it. And as soon as we published it, we got things going Step number two was we started working on version two. So basically January 1st, we start the reports, we start working on version two. So that came out not too much longer. But yeah, we did not have a tool when we sold it. We just had a nice confidence in ourselves and a dream that we could do it and we made it work. So that's what it takes. Okay, so let me dig into a few things there. A, you are a phenomenal salesperson because there's one thing about being like passionate and hey, I've got this skill set and isn't this tool going to be awesome? But you literally did not have anything tangible for them to really cut a check for and they cut a check for $250,000. So what what did you do? Like what was that presentation like and what happened in that relationship in order for them to say, yes, we believe in you, this is good? I think it was a couple of things. I think that A, the fact that we that I was originally referred by that contact gave a lot of confidence in me as a person, that I'm trustworthy, that I'm very honest. And I'm, I'm very honest. I'm I'm actually I don't consider myself a great salesperson all the time because I think that sometimes there there are a couple of different types of salespeople. Some are really good at selling something they don't have and just saying that they have it already. And kind of being like, oh, sure, of course you can do that. And sometimes that comes back to bite them. I never really said that. And I think they really did know we had not yet built it. But we sat down and we wrote out a proposal and we made a good point that we could do it. We weren't going to get ourselves into a position where we were going to sell something and then find ourselves scrambling and feeling like, oh, my gosh, we actually can't do it. So they knew, and I think that they really appreciated the honesty. And gosh, sometimes I just feel like they felt bad because I'm this 24-year-old who is, and truly, I think that I felt really confident about the industry and, and coming at everything, everything that we were doing. But I do think that I feared a little bit because I felt so young at the time that, you know, I really wanted to be taken seriously. And I just didn't have that kind of oh, sure, we can do things that we can't do. I was just very honest about what we could do, and I knew talking to them that we could build it. I knew that we would have to rebuild it as soon as it was built, but I knew we could do it. Whatever it took, I knew that we would be able to deliver that come day one of the contract. So I think that that's appreciated in business. It's sometimes hard to find that, and I think that people really do appreciate honesty. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. You did not have to create, like, go find investors for your to in order to create this. I mean, you basically got kind of what amounts to an investor as a client. So yeah. was that really important for you guys? I mean, as you were having this idea and it was muddling around with you, like, was one of the reasons that you weren't going forward with it because you knew that it would take a lot of money to be able to actually produce this tool? I think money has always been something that I'm very conscious of. I've never taken investment and I've never put myself into debt for a business. I kind of, my actually my sister would always make fun of me for being the queen of frugality. I was so cheap at the time. <laughs> I had a book. I had a book that I had bought in Chicago when I first moved there called The Cheap Bastard's Guide to Chicago. And it was about everything you could do in Chicago for basically free or cheap. And That's that was awesome. my that was my guide <laughs> to the city. I was so cheap. So I actually I just lived that lifestyle and when I started out, I made a point to never live on more than I earned and I really put money away and saved an emergency fund. And I think that anybody who's thinking about starting a business, if you're thinking you want to start something without investment, I think it's really important to look at your current budget and set money aside and have an emergency fund, and so I'll get into in a second where that came in handy. But no, I think that there are so many businesses that can be started without investment, and sure, it was great that we kind of came right in with this big contract that we knew would support us, but I also think that it's possible, and I've since started businesses where I didn't initially have a contract. I had to do a little bit of personal investing up front, but you can do it slow and steady, and you can really make it work. So anyway, going back to that emergency fund, that actually did come in handy, because we didn't get paid right away. It wasn't that they just said, 
okay, we're going to just write you this big check up front. You know you're good for it. So they actually, of course, they rebuild them monthly. But there was a there's a time when you start a business and you're doing kind of a mix of, it was mix of consulting and technology. We would invoice them, and they set us up. I think it was like a 60-day turnaround for invoices. So we had to wait to get paid. So we actually, from the time we quit our job, didn't get paid for a couple of months. We were really happy to have that buffer so that we didn't have to act out of fear. We could still continue to go forward knowing, okay, we're feeling good about what's going on. You know, if invoices get paid late, we still feel good, but we do know that it's coming eventually. So, yeah, and we actually only invested up front with our business $3,000, so $1,000 each, and we put it toward hiring a lawyer to write our contracts for us. <laughs> that was the one investment that we made. And every business is different. Some businesses do require more investment up front, but it ended up being perfect for where we were at the time. And I think that it's really possible, especially when you are doing some amount of consulting, to start a business with very, very little money up front. Can you share with us a little bit deeper into what exactly you were creating for this company? I get that you were sort of taking social media conversations or social conversations and now building a tool that would make them easy to look at. But mm-hmm. what were they doing with that? And what, what were the realities of what value that really provided for them? Okay. So it was twofold, two different sides. One of the things that we were doing was daily monitoring. So we were actually looking every day for conversations that were happening that were either issues or opportunities for them. So it could be everything from a celebrity says that they like your product and then you respond and you build a relationship and you send them products. It could be that you they had an initiative and they wanted to kind of see what was working and adapt it from there. It could be an issue, a product issue. We worked with, because of Chicago, it's a lot of consumer packaged goods. So we worked with a lot of consumer packaged goods who were concerned or food that they would be concerned about items in, in their food or something, quality control and just basic customer service. We actually saw in the time that we worked with some of these clients from the beginning until a few, few years out, it was, I forget if it was 15% or 30%, it was a huge drop in traditional customer service calls because people were going to social media to ask for customer service. Basically. Oh, that's very interesting. So we I believe were that. Fine, yeah, so we were finding those. I'll have to look at the exact number and get it to you. We were finding those and giving them, submitting tickets to them where they could respond to their team. They would refer it to whoever needed it, and they'd respond. On the other side, the side that I think kind of gets really interesting and exciting, was more market research. So when you think about market research, what do you think about just like taking statistics and being able to know kind of what your potential client is doing so you know how to service them. Right. So we do this. We've done this for years, but a lot of this has been through focus groups and surveys and user interviews. But now you want to know how your customers feel, what they think about you. You can go online and figure out really quickly and really for much less money what clients are thinking about you and what clients are thinking about your competitors. So we would gather these conversations, and we have this tool where you can import all these conversations into the tool and create a representative sample set. So just like you do a survey, you create a representative sample set. And then within that, we would, so early on it was basically me, and we did end up hiring people to help go through that representative sample set of conversations and tag the post within it for basically just context. So demographics, what are they talking about, what do they feel about your brand, what's making them mad, what's making them happy, how are they comparing you to competitors. A big one was how are they talking about your marketing. So they're spending all this money creating these ads, and they don't. They need to know how people are responding to them. So a couple of times we found some really interesting things, like there were some ads, some big companies who were producing these big expensive ads, and either people hated them, and we would catch it right away that people hated them, and then later on down the line, we'd cross over data with other places, and we'd find, okay, so your ad actually made people like you less. <laughs> Given on this oh, one, wow. we should probably go back to this one. <laughs> and we also found some people were... There would be ads that hadn't run in years, but people still referred to them all the time and absolutely loved them. And so that can be an opportunity for them to actually re-look at old content and save on production costs. So rather than just producing new content, you have this ad that's so popular, they actually have an opportunity to kind of breathe new life into that, bring that back, whether it's on television or through social media or whichever way. So even though we were looking at social media, it wasn't necessarily just for the sake of social media campaigns, 
It was actually looking at their traditional media, events that they did, the product itself and product improvement, customer service. It was across a ton of different areas. So we got to do some really interesting research. Probably one of my favorite things was in product, new product launches. In new product launches, we would look at everything from what ingredients. So we did a really big research study on sugar substitutes. What do people think about different sugar substitutes and the health benefits or the, the bad, is it good? As companies are trying to figure out which ingredients they actually want to use in their products. Or we worked with one company that was trying to rebrand their product just for women. And we actually looked into it and we found that men were just as excited, if not more, about the product than women. And so if they rebranded it with pink packaging and, and everything toward women, they were actually going to be turning their back on a very large part of their audience that they weren't aware was out there. So it touched on so many different areas. But That's so cool. So your whole business model is really kind of a combination of obviously like this technological tool as well as really this interactive consulting with the company so that they truly understand and, and you can get into the details of their behind the scenes and where they're doing marketing and you understand what they've done in the past and where they want to go and then being able to help lay out a plan based on these statistics that you're getting. Yep, exactly. So once you got this new client, your very first client, obviously you built out more clients after that, but what kind of things internally did you and your part is it your partner or is you like is, I know your husband is your partner as well, but do you have that third person mm -hmm. as your partner? Yeah, so it started out with uh, all three of us. So it started out with three of us. It was me, my then fiance. I actually married him that year. So in the same year, we started a business and got married. So kind of a big year. And then a third partner who was our really good friend from college. She's the web developer. Gotcha. Okay, so, so the three of us, which is an interesting dynamic. So the three of you guys got together, you started this company, have your first client, and now you're building out. You obviously had to build some internal systems to make sure that how you were providing your services were, you know, were that it was actually working. And as you were getting more clients, what kind of things did you have to do internally to make sure that your structure was correctly, that your business was set up correctly, that you had processes that were working? Like, can you walk us through some of the, those initial things that you did to get set up? <laughs> it was a lot of trial and error, honestly, in the beginning. I think we probably tried every single process to get going. And that was where yeah, I'm not even the best person to turn to because I really think that there are so many ways to do it. And we tried a few things that we kind of found, okay, this isn't really the very best way to do it. And we kind of actually ended up in the long run really finding ourselves relying on a couple of tools. So one, just in terms of communication, Ryan, the web developer who was not my husband, Jeff, so the, the third partner, he actually ended up moving to Florida. He was in Chicago and ended up moving to Florida very early on in the company because his girlfriend, our, another good friend, was in med school down there. So we were then immediately a remote company. So what we found was really helpful was first a tool called HipChat. And HipChat is just essentially an internal company messaging system. Oh, cool. And it made up so that we were always connected. So it was basically like you're walking into the office. You log into HipChat and you're in the office and we could just kind of chat there all day. We do Skype calls a lot. We actually ended up, after trying many different project management tools and ways of kind of communicating what we were doing, we actually ended up turning to Google Docs long later and just kind of saying, okay, we share our Google Docs folder and this is what works for us. So it's not for everybody, but everybody kind of gets into their groove and finds their own system for what they want to do. And for us, that was what worked for us really well. So we tried, you know, we paid for every kind of tool under the sun, tried them all out, and then we found Google Docs. This seems to work really well for us. Now, you and your husband work together. I'm personally interested in that because my husband and I work together as well. <laughs> yeah. Can you talk? I feel like it's an instant bond for couples oh. who work together. They're like, aha. I know. It's like, come on, sister, let's go have a drink. You know, let's let's talk. <laughs> <laughs> Can you talk about, let's, let's start with all of the good. Talk about the best yeah. parts, best experiences that you've had working with your husband. You know what? This is probably the number one question that I get when people meet me and they find out that I have a company that I run with my husband. They kind of look at me for like a side glance and they go, how's that? And I always <laughs> say it's really, actually, it's really great. We have such great communication. We have a lot of fun together. I think that the key here is that we don't do the same thing. So there's no kind of competition where 
we're both going after more sales or we're both designers or we're both, you know, doing the same thing. He works on, he's the designer. He works on the back end of building and managing the system and keeping things running. Thank goodness. He also actually does manage a, a good bit of the business where he's kind of into figuring out the nitty gritty and the paper, all the little paper trails and everything there. I, am the client-facing person, I'm the people manager, I'm kind of that day-to-day account manager contact, making sure that what we're building, what we're delivering is getting to the client in a satisfactory way. So it really, what we do, it crosses over, it comp- like we complement each other so well, but it's not, it's not stressful because what we do is different. So we have fun. I mean, we get to, the fun thing is we get to get up in the morning and we, oh, here's a big thing. So our first year, we actually had a home office. So we did not have an office to go to. This was when we were in Chicago. And what we did have, though, at the time was a, kind of a support group. We were a part of something called Jelly, and it was co-working. So we would at least, it was about, actually, it was twice a week. It was Mondays and Wednesdays. We would hop on the bus, and we would go up to this coffee shop, and we would get together with other people who ran businesses. And that was great because we got to bounce off kind of what's, what are your pain points in your business? What have you learned in your business? I think having that kind of in-person network that you can turn to is awesome. And at times we could go to coffee shops and we could work apart from each other, but we did have a home office. Now, what we did was a year after we started our business, we ended up moving back to Michigan, which is where we're from. And the first thing that we did when we got back to Michigan was we got an office. And that's great because you get up in the morning and you go to your office and you are not working, you know, home is not your office, you go to a place of work. And that helps, I think, to define some separation. So it's fun. We have our little routine. We would ride our bikes to the office or drive into the office, go get our coffee or bring our coffee, whatever it was, and then sit down. We kind of talk about what we're doing that day brainstorm kind of things that we're working on, really get excited about things that we're doing. And I think that it's just been, it's been really fun and I feel like it's an, a great advantage. I feel so lucky to have found somebody who I kind of feel like we complement each other so well in all of these different ways. And that's awesome. What about some of the ugly stuff? What have been some of the biggest, <laughs> what have been some of the biggest issues that you've had or like some of those moments that have definitely bled over into your personal life that have just been really tough for you to get through? All right, so I'm sure that you can relate on some of these. The number one issue that all married couples talk about, I know it's no different with us, married couples who run businesses together, I should say, is it can be hard to turn it off. And I think having the office is great for that, but sometimes you get home and you just find yourself in conversation where you're still talking about work because it's so natural. That's what you did. And people talk about work. They talk about what they did at work, but it's just different when you're you're talking about your work and it kind of then it can turn into an evening conversation and sometimes I would find myself saying is this sometimes you know how you have thoughts that are maybe you have your irrational side that wants to do one thing and then your your mind side that wants to do another thing and I would say (laughs) I would say okay this is wife alley talking now. And I would say something and then I'd be like, okay, this is business alley talking now. And I had to say that sometimes because it was hard to define. And it got really hard in 2012 when our biggest client came to us and said they wanted to buy our business. And that, at that point, it's really hard to separate personal and business because you see dollar signs and you see this, this big change in lifestyle. And so I felt like every night we were sitting there thinking, okay, what will our life be like if and when? And early on it was kind of, okay, ooh, this is exciting. Look at what we're going to do with this money. Let's remodel our kitchen. We had just bought a house at the time. Let's remodel the kitchen. Let's do all these things. And we just got so excited. And then we kind of started to say, okay, what are our roles going to be? Because this was a, an issue of they wanted to buy the company, take our tool, expand it within their company and then also hire us at pretty nice salaries but very very much working for the company and being on their clock and billing our hours you know the agency lifestyle so then we kind of started thinking okay how's that going to be and so then we're balancing this and I just felt like every night we were talking about the scenarios and 
what it was going to be like. And that was, that really became tough to balance because it was a lifestyle conversation. You know, that's a conversation you would have with your spouse, whether or not they own the company, even if it's just for you. But when both of you are involved and both of you, your day-to-day lifestyle is involved, it really, it really kind of takes over. Well, and I would imagine that you both kind of, even though that you're very complimentary in your business, you both see it very differently and that's why it works so well. So I would imagine when mm-hmm. you throw in the whole third party of, you know, wanting somebody wanting to buy you out, it's sort of like you have kind of different reactions to that about what that means according to what you really want for the business. So yeah, that definitely had to yeah. be a conversation. Yeah. And Jeff, so I had actually worked for people so, and worked for agencies. So I had that perspective of, hey, I can tell you what this lifestyle looks like working for an agency. Jeff had only ever worked for himself, so he had no idea what what this looked like. And so, yeah, we had these very kind of different perspectives going into it. Now, on top of the fact that you have been building this business for all of these years, you also are like super involved in a lot of other very interesting things. So you have a photography company, you teach at Mm -hmm. Michigan State, you have had a company called Entree Trip. Like I would love for you to talk about all of these because I think they're all equally (laughs) fascinating. So let's start with Entree Trip because that sounds very interesting to me. So tell us a little bit about what Entree Trip is all about and why you really decided to do it. Yeah, Entree Trip started in, gosh, what year was that? I think that was 2012 too. In 2000, maybe no, it's 2011. So I was doing these kind of daily journaling projects from uh, Molly Mayhar, who runs Strategy. She has this kind of every three days you get an email that prompts you to write about something in your life. And one month it's success, and one month it's I don't know creativity, and I, I forget all the exact topics. But this one particular month, I think, really got to me. It was kind of talking a lot about childlike play and how as children we have such big dreams and we do all these things and then we grow up and we kind of talk ourselves out of these things. And so the first thing I did that month was actually enrolled in piano lessons because I had never taken piano lessons and I remember being like, I can do this. I'm not too old. (laughs) And then the second thing that I did was, I don't even know how, it it was just one night, I think I had just written this prompt and I was like, you know what would be fun? <laughs> Going and renting a house in Costa Rica or, you know, pick a, pick a country, end up being Costa Rica for the first one. And getting women who are entrepreneurs or who want to be entrepreneurs together in that house and just having a really great week together, bonding and talking about what we do. And I basically found a house, uh, and this was probably, I wouldn't say it was a bigger risk than starting La Pixel, but it was one of those things where I actually took on some financial risk. I booked the house, and it was, I think, $1,800 for the week. So I said, okay, well, if no one wants to come, I'll just get some friends, and we'll go hang out at this house, and it'll be a good time regardless. So this is okay. You can't fail. And I basically just put the word out that I was looking for awesome women entrepreneurs to come out and and basically fly to Costa Rica and stay with these strangers and have a great time together. And I still remember at the airport at customs, they were like, it was coming home. They said, so who are you in Costa Rica with? And I was, I think I said something like, Oh, I just met some people there. And he said, did you meet them there? Or they were friends you met there. And I was like, uh, oh, they were friends. I don't even know who I met there. It was kind of a strange, like, who goes to a foreign country and meets people there who they don't know and gets in a van and drives four hours to this little house at the top of a hill and, and just stays with them. But it was amazing. It was such a great group of women. I still talk to them all the time. I actually just caught up with one of them last week on an hour-long Skype call. We still continue to inspire each other, and I'm just amazed by what these women are doing. So we've done one other trip since then. We did another one in Mexico. And it's just oh, it's so cool. It's so neat to be able to have that interaction. I think part of it also came from being a part of that co-working group in Chicago. And when I moved back to Michigan, I was no longer in a network quite like that. I think I was seeking out something like that, that support group. And I said, well, let's look for a group of women. And also the co-working group was all men. I think there might have been one or two other women who came every now and then, but I felt like I was constantly surrounded by men. And so it was very refreshing to be surrounded by women in this case. So I... I love that energy. I love that idea. I love that idea a lot. All right, Biz Women Rock community, watch out for a trip in Costa Rica. We'll rent a house. It'll be like the Biz Women Rock house. (laughs) I will be there. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Okay, so you did did that. Now, what about the photography company? Was that also part of the play like a child type of an inspiration moment? 
that came a little bit earlier, but I think it was maybe that mentality came out of that mentality that came basically actually 2009 before the, before Logics even started, I started to get into photography as a hobby. And maybe this was just one of those things where once you start a business, you're like, this is awesome. How can I make money from things? And I was getting really into photography and spending some money on the gear. And I kind of thought, okay, you know, let's play around with this. And so I, Basically, I was running lab pixel during the week, and then I was apprenticing under this professional photographer on the weekends. And it was very humbling because I was working with these really big-name clients during the week, and then on the weekends he was like, oh, assistant, please carry my gear. <laughs> but he was teaching me a lot at the same time. So it was this really, it's kind of like I called it my alter ego because it was so different. But it was such a fun different way to spend my weekends and I got to have some really cool experiences and I think I just kind of got addicted to that with experiences and then kind of my my business competitive side came out and I was like how can I be awesome at this and so with photography I never went into debt for it I think I ended up investing probably about ten thousand dollars into gear over time kind of a little bit at a time and coming out of the PR background, I think I actually, that was my biggest first client. Because I worked at a company in Chicago with 500 people, largely women, I ended up getting like family shoots and eventually weddings from that. And people would just refer me around and kind of started out, just charged 100 bucks here and there. And oh, sure, I'll do this. And being terrified, I was terrified to do it for money. I just remember shaking going to my first shoots. But then working under this guy to the point where I kind of gained confidence and I actually ended up, and this is where things kind of came to a head. 2012 was a really big year because that was the year that we were looking at selling our company and also the year that I had somehow accidentally, I don't know, I wasn't paying attention. I booked 17 weddings that year. Oh my and goodness. so I was running this company that was doing <laughs> doing really well, keeping me very busy, sometimes working a lot of hours on it and then on the weekends just about every weekend during the summer I was off shooting weddings so it was a crazy year and I think it really kind of came to a point where I had to decide okay I have to pick a direction on what's going to happen here and so going into so let me actually I never really finished what happened with the selling the company I assume you probably want to know yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. Where that's when. <laughs> here's what happened we ended up being invited to go speak at a conference featuring young entrepreneurs from around the country, kind of honoring young entrepreneurs. So we were presenting at this conference. And it was in Washington, D.C., and we kind of actually very last minute went to the conference. And we were originally not going to go, and then they asked us to present, and we were kind of like, okay, let's do it. So we go to this conference, and it's amazing and very inspirational. And we meet this guy who runs a company out of D.C., a web uh, web usability design and, and web design company. And we're talking to him. This was actually, let me add in. Okay. So we were, we've been working on selling our company for months. We had been back and forth in this, oh, yay money. And then kind of being like, oh, let's enjoy our last days of freedom because it's all going away and kind of bemoaning that our lifestyle was going to change in a way that we weren't excited about. And we met this guy and Friday of the conference, we were on the phone with the CFO of the company, basically finalizing details. And he said, okay, I'll send over kind of the final contract. You can sign it, and then you're going to fly out, and we'll meet with you, and we'll finalize everything. And I was like, okay, let's just sign it, get it over with on Friday. And Jeff and I ended up leaving the conference and going for a long walk and saying, you know, is this, is this it? You know, should we do it? Do we really want this? Even after talking about it for all these months, we just had this – feeling in the back of our, like, in our guts that it just wasn't what we wanted out of our lifestyles. And so we said, okay, we'll wait until we get home on Monday, and then we'll sign it. And the, the tickets had already been booked. We were already flying out to meet with them and, and finalize everything. So Saturday, we meet this guy who runs this company, and we were talking to him about it. And what he does kind of complements what we do. So we're, we're getting excited about what he's doing. And after talking to us for, I don't know, maybe half an hour, he looks at us and he says, you don't want to sell your company. And we're like, what? Mm. <laughs> and he's like, you shouldn't sell your company. And we're like, yeah, but it's too late. 
we've already, you know, we've come this far. We've already paid a lawyer so much money, and we've already committed to flying out there. We can't call them and tell them we're not doing it. We can't disappoint them. We can't, you know, cancel the plane tickets that they've already paid for. And he's like, you shouldn't sell. So he said, how about this? Cancel your flight home for tomorrow and come stay with me and my wife and come to my office on Monday and let's let's just talk. Like let's let's just see. And so it sounds crazy, but maybe this is the same kind of crazy that makes a person go to Costa Rica with people they don't know and have this kind of <laughs> trust. Because I just feel like I you know, you know when you can trust somebody and given that we had met him at this conference, we knew he was a legit guy. So Jeff actually cancelled my flight and he said um, actually, I need to get home. I have some things to do, but Allie, I cancel your flight. You're good to go. Have fun. So Sunday morning, he flies home, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, what have I done? Wow. So I'm I'm walking to his place thinking, what if this was all a dream? What if, what am I thinking? But sure enough, I got there. I had a great time with him and his wife. I ended up, by Monday, we were already talking about selling work in together, kind of seeing that the compliments and finding this really exciting energy about the company. Tuesday, I ended up flying home and we told the company that we weren't selling and it was hard. That was the worst thing. I think up until, I don't know, that was probably one of the hardest days of my business life was telling them that after hours and lots of flying back and forth and a lot of energy and a lot of money put into this deal saying, you know what, it's just not right. It's not going to happen. And you know what? I think they said, I understand. And I think he was just like, I'm not surprised. I think they knew in our hearts that we weren't, we weren't into it. So I wish we would have discovered it six months earlier before we had put so much energy on both sides into it. But ultimately we knew it wasn't right. And we also knew that by walking away from that deal, we were ultimately walking away from that client, which is a big client. And so we basically, this was the end of, this was fall of 2012. So we basically spent the next year kind of looking at our lives and saying, okay, what do we want to do next? Is this, is this company in its current form what we want? And ultimately we kind of said, not really, not necessarily. So what we decided to do was kind of prepare for that client to end at the end of the next year and prepare to completely drastically shift the company. And really actually, now this is something that is considered very, um, I don't know if the, sinful is the right word, but just kind of a business sin, like shrinking your company. No, don't do it. But we did. And so actually at the beginning of this year, so, and I should add in last year, 2013, I had my daughter in November. So it was kind of a big, another big shifting year where we said, okay, like things have got to change. We were still really working like crazy and we really just wanted to kind of shift and, and draw back a little bit, knowing that we'd really evaluated our lifestyles. We'd walked away from saying, it's all about the money, and we were kind of saying, okay, it is about lifestyle for us, too. So at the beginning of this year, we actually shrunk and decided to just focus on projects that are really interesting to us. So we had done some research around, like, for example, healthcare and the culture of, of how people felt about, like, the healthcare exchange. We had done some research around that for a company, and the sugar thing was really interesting to us, and just culture, research into culture and things that are these kind of brand planning, really deep dive understandings of people and human nature. That's what's exciting to us. But we were kind of taking on every project that was, even if it was kind of something that was, eh, you know, it's okay. Like it's, it's interesting to somebody, but it was, it wasn't aligned with what we wanted to do long-term anymore. So we decided to draw back. So I've actually, since then, so we're taking on projects kind of that are deep dive, really interesting to us. I've referred out plenty of projects and it feels really good, I have to say. So there are plenty of opportunities where people are coming to us with good money that they're willing to spend with us. And I say, you know what, it's just not something that we want to do. So I refer it out happily to other people. And having the time has been really exciting. So I've been able to invest in a friend who's a designer on her kind of doing a new design line. There's a, an incubator here in Lansing, Michigan that's launching this fall. So I'm able to invest with her for her to display her talents, which are amazing. And I've been able to do more weddings, which really I'm passionate about. I really love it. Teach at Michigan State on the topic of what LabPixel, the, the LabPixel kind of core topic, which is the social media monitoring and research. I wrote a book on the topic. So it's just been I just feel good. It's also having a daughter. It's kind of made me more flexible where I can say, 
you know what, it's okay if I take today off. I'm going to spend time with my daughter today. And it's the redefinition of success for me where I like having flexibility. I think for, for me, success has been, I'll tell you this. So last year when I felt stressed out or unhappy with the way things were going uh, or like a specific project that I was doing that I was thinking, ah, I don't know if this project is like quite the right fit. I would just open up my spreadsheet and I would count how much money we were making that month. And I'd be like, ah, okay, you know, good. Look at all the money we're making. But that's not happiness. That's money. <laughs> it's right. very different. So this year I feel like I'm actually finding that balance where it's really great where I get to do projects that I'm passionate about and I love everything that I do, you know, every day that I get into. And it's just, it's a very different attitude. And I do think, you know, you have to earn that ability. You have to earn the ability to pick your projects and the ability to love what you do every day and the ability to take days off. I don't think that if you want to start out and be successful from the very beginning, you've never earned that. Like you haven't either, you either have to have a good amount of savings where you can kind of spend your time doing that, or you have to have the reputation that you've built. And so you have to, I do think you truly have to put your time in to earn that. But I think that it's good to maintain that perspective that, you know, it is okay to get to a point where you choose the project that you want and you choose to kind of cut back and consciously say, I'm going to pick spending my time how I want over just piling up as much money as I can. Allie, I love that story, and I really appreciate you being so open about it because one of my other guests, Joanna Penn, had this great quote about choose your lifestyle and then choose the mm -hmm. business that complements that lifestyle. And I think yours is such a good example of the fact that you sort of chose the business and then at some point said, hang on, hang on here. I really want to choose a lifestyle and let's, let's mm -hmm. mold our business to be able to support that lifestyle. So... I love that. And I think that it takes a lot of courage to do that. And it takes a lot of courage to say no to business coming in. But to be able to be totally tuned into who you are and what's important to you and really focus on what truly is going to make you happy during this whole entrepreneurial life that you're living, I think is amazing. So I think that's a, such a great story and a great piece of advice. Thank you. And like I said, it's not necessarily something that happens overnight. It does take some trial and error and you do have to put some hard work in. But I think it's something that people often lose sight of and you have to remember that that's still very important in your life. Allie, I want to bring this conversation to a close by asking you a couple of questions. How do you think that you have most evolved as a businesswoman over all of these years? I think a couple of areas. Definitely confidence. I think that comes with experience. Just having the confidence to say no, oh gosh, I never would have said that before, or the confidence to get up in front of a crowd and speak, or even the confidence to talk to you and tell you my story and kind of feel like I can be open about what, I, what I've experienced before I think I would have been just terrified to tell you those stories. So let's see, how else have I evolved? I think priorities just change. I think that I used to just, I don't know, get, and I still, I, sh I shouldn't say that I used to have lack of fo focus because I still love so many things, but I still get excited by so many things, but I think I'm much better at goal setting now, having experienced that, where I can actually say, okay, I'm setting my goals based on what I want my life to look like versus what will make me the most money, where before if you looked at my goals, <laughs> I remember having, we would set three-month goals, and it was like, make X amount of dollars, that was my goal, and now it's kind of like, I want my goal to get me to where I want to feel good. And so it's a little bit more kind of like ooh, warm and fuzzy, but that works for me. It's really makes me happier. And what do you see in the future for your company? What is your big vision? I think ultimately I'd love to maintain the flexibility. And I think that I'm, I finally allowed myself, given myself permission to say, I'm okay with having my hands in different projects. I'm okay with being a part of funding and supporting my friend who's doing her fashion design. I'm okay with shooting weddings. I'm okay with continuing to do the projects that I love and if opportunities come along. And, you know, I've had a lot of opportunities come along this year. Some I've said yes to, some I've said no to. I, I want to continue that. I really feel good about, and, and I, I struggled with that for a long time because I always said, focus, focus, focus. And I had great success when I focused, but I didn't have great, I should say, let me redefine that. I had great financial success when I focused, but I wasn't always my happiest with that. And so I think I finally realized 
a person does not have to have one single project. A person doesn't have to graduate with a degree, you know, get a job or even start one company and just work your way through that. I think it's totally okay to build multiple things, you know, have enough focus so that you're you're not so fragmented that you're kind of throwing things into the wind and you're never focused enough to build something that can be a success. But once you get something to a point where you've built your reputation or you've put your time in, I think it's very exciting to be able to also contribute your talents to other projects. Well, Allie, I really want to thank you so much for being here. Thanks for sharing your story and for getting pretty ingrained in there in a lot of the details of how you've grown the company and what's been happening along your journey. So big congratulations to you. And thanks so much for being here. (laughs) Thanks so much for having me. The show notes for today are at bizwomenrock.com forward slash 78. I loved Allie. She was wonderful, a great conversationalist, and um, just had so many great stories to share. And I really, as always, really appreciated that she got so deep into a lot of those stories with us. Definitely my biggest takeaway was the fact that she and her husband proactively chose their lifestyle that they wanted in their business versus just growing bigger for the sake of growing bigger and getting more money. I really, really appreciated that. As I had mentioned in the interview, Joanna Penn, who's on episode 13 of the Biz Women Rock podcast, by the way, she had mentioned this idea of being able to create the lifestyle that you want and then create the business that supports it. Or if you're already knee deep in your business, then just make sure that you're super aware of the lifestyle that you want and now transition your business to be able to fit fit that. And Allie and her husband did that very well. And it was really, really enlightening to do that. You could tell like she just has so much joy in what she does. And I thought that that was so foundational as to why. Thank you so much for being on the show with me today. And remember to participate in our Shark Week Shark Tank event. Go to bizwomenrock.com. I'll see you soon. I wasn't joking about that Biz Women Rock retreat idea somewhere in the world. You up for it?